Alright, how is it going everyone? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. Before we get started with this episode, I have to tell you about the new program we just launched, Angel Invest in Forward Thinking Founders. If you've been getting value out of the podcast over the last year, if you've liked the guests, if you want to interact with the guests at meetups, if you want to join us in an online community, if you want premium content um, and you don't want ads anymore, please become an angel investor in this podcast. You don't need to be an accredited investor. All you need is $10 a month or $100 a year. If you're interested in supporting the podcast and getting all these extra perks, go ahead and check out glow.fm slash F20R. And there you can read all about it. You can become an investor. You can get all the perks. Um, Lastly, if you don't want any of the perks, but you have enjoyed the podcast and you just want to support a creator trying to do good work um, and kind of bringing to light these people who you may not have heard of before, I would also just really appreciate the support. So that's glow.fm slash F20R. I appreciate the support. Now let's get into the episode. All right, how is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Teague Oregman, who is the CEO and the creator of Starting Eleven. Teague, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks very much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I don't know why, but I always am, I think, a little more interested in like sports type stuff or fantasy or anything in that realm, just because I know so little about it, which means it gives me this opportunity to learn a ton, which is going to be, which is going to be great. So to kind of start, let's just dive into what is Starting Eleven. So Starting Eleven is, our tagline is, we're the world's first live daily fantasy soccer platform. Uh, so what we do is some of your listeners may, may or may not be familiar with uh, fantasy sports generally, uh, which is a process where you take real-life players from real teams and then choose your own team based on those real-life players. They earn points based on how they perform on the field, and you compete in contests with either your friends or other people around the world. So that's what we do. We run a fantasy platform, uh, but it's soccer-specific and soccer-only, soccer soccer-focused. Uh, we're available, um, we say with the world, because we're available now in five countries. Uh, we say daily because, again, unlike what some of your users might be, or listeners might be familiar with, you don't pick a team at the start of the season and then follow it the entire season through. Each match day, uh, we offer different contests. So each match is a chance to select select a new team. Uh, and then a live piece is probably the most unique part about what we do. So <clears throat> anyone who... Uh, has played fantasy sports, knows that the absolute worst part of the experience is you put in this time, you're ready to have fun, you're ready to watch the games, and then one of your players gets injured or things aren't going the way that you'd hoped kind of early on, uh, which, you know, causes you to, you know, throw your pen or, you know, storm away angrily. It just kind of wrecks the experience. Uh, So what we decided to do when we built the platform is make it live, meaning that just like a regular soccer manager, if you're a starting 11 player, you get three substitutions to your team in real time while you're watching games. Uh, so the idea is basically take that kind of traditional general manager experience, which is common to fantasy sports, and then add on that in-game tactical uh, manager component uh, for, for people. Um, and the response has been good. Uh, like I said, we're in five countries. 
uh, yeah, I'm excited to keep keep growing. So I have the hunch. I have a hunch that you know about this industry pretty in depth because it seems like you're you're building you're building this this company or this product for a specific almost persona and and just getting it perfect just right i'm curious i'd love to hear a little bit of the backstory on you know why did this company have to exist why do you want to start it and also why did you start specifically um with a single vertical versus just all all sports yeah um so uh, a few reasons so i'm i'm a fantasy sports um i mean obsessive feels like like an unkind word but i, I kind of wear it proudly uh, i uh, i love this stuff and i've been um, i'm 38 right now uh, i've been the commissioner of my local fantasy american football league for the last 25 years uh sort of that sort of that early on. it's been just an incredible way to uh stay connected and then connect with people who um, you know, around common interests. And I think that's really the beauty of, of fantasy sports is that you, it's something that you do socially uh, with your friends or, or you make friends you know, in, in the process and you do it sharing this passion for, um, uh, for sports, which are, you know, which have this incredible ability to, to unite people. So I have this, this, uh, this large passion for, uh, for the industry that I've had for, um, for a long time before, you know, well before this idea. Uh, came to me. So uh, the reason the company exists is because, uh, at the time that we came up with the idea, uh, uh, one, of, one of my other co-founders and I, uh, we were working as attorneys. Um, I was a partner at a law firm called Stoll Reeves, uh, which is a large uh, U.S.-based, um, big, uh, big kind of traditional uh, old law firm uh, based in the United States. Uh, and I was a litigator. So I uh, tried in, in cases in state and federal court uh, all around the country. Uh, and fantasy sports was, was my hobby. Um, but I got to talking one day with someone that I worked with about uh, why is it that there's not a, um, a compelling daily product for soccer when it's the, obviously everybody knows it's the biggest sport in the world, uh, but it's also got this incredible growth trajectory in some really interesting places um, that traditionally have not been big centers of fantasy sports play, but but are becoming uh, becoming that way. Um, India is a, an example that I'm sure we'll talk about. So we got talking about it and we did kind of that famous um, you know, famous last words for anyone who's ever built anything, which is, why don't we just do it ourselves? Let's, let's figure it out and do it. So he knew some people who had created, had done some design work and created some products in the soccer space. Uh, we got together with them. You know, we did the traditional tech company. Hey, we'll put together an MVP. Uh, it'll be bad. People can tell us why it's bad um, and, and try to you know, put that out there uh, for a season. Uh, and then now the last season and a half or so, we've been running um, uh, a much more kind of structured um, version uh, version of the product, but yeah, it just it, it came about from um, originally from that conversation. Like, you know, we love the stuff. We're big soccer fans. Why isn't there something that is compelling for us on the fantasy side? Um, and let's just make it and kind of see where it goes. That's awesome. I I love you know I mention this all the time on the podcast because this is so so such a common scenario. But this is something you loved long before you started the company which I think is why I'm sure the product is built you know, just for you. And there's a lot of other people like you, right? I, I think one question I'm curious about, and this might bring out my naivete, uh, you know, in, in the industry, but um, you know, I know soccer uh, or, or football, you know, like I guess globally is the, you know, one of the world's most popular sports, but in the States, I know it's not as popular as some other geographies. I'm curious, is this, 
available in the States? And if so, like, uh, how, how's it going? And if not, was that a hard decision for you to make? Uh, it is. So it's, it's available in 35, uh, 35 U.S. states um, due to uh, some of the, you know, some of the regulatory challenges that we, uh, that we face when we talk about real money, um, real money gaming, really, because that's, um, that's something that's available in the app because you can play for real money. So anytime that's introduced, there's another regulatory uh, layer to, to work through. Uh, so we're, we're in the U.S., uh, we're in Canada, we're in the U.K., uh, we're in Germany, and now we're in India. Um, and we, yeah, we, you know, we, we started a, an international gaming company from Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, specifically around one vertical in a sport that, although it's becoming more popular, especially in certain, in certain markets in the United States, is certainly not uh, the most popular sport in the country. And so our, our, our vision from the beginning was, this is probably not a thing that's just a U.S.-based uh, just the U.S. based product. So we we had a lot of people early on say, you know, do do football, do basketball, do something else. And we were we were pretty adamant that we thought we thought the opportunity was international. Uh, we thought it was specifically around soccer, uh, and we love it too. Which you know, is your point, I mean, that you, you have to in order to you know in order to give as as much as we do to it. Um, and and that was that was a decision that was that was very very early on. But this is this is what we're doing. We're picking this. Uh, we're picking this this niche, which happens to be a huge niche, but it is a niche, uh, and and going that direction. So uh, let's walk through what a typical user experience is like. I, I have played fantasy football in the past, where it was, I think, what you mentioned. You have a season, and it just kind of it starts and it ends, and one you know you know a single team and whatnot. And I, and I think there's people listening that might be in my boat where they kind of understand what you mean by multiple offerings, like not totally. So yeah. can you like dive into different ways people can engage with, uh, with starting 11 and are there different formats of games or their season long week long? Is it like, like, can you just kind of go into how you can kind of use starting 11 in different ways? Sure. Uh, so you, uh, we're an app, uh, we're, we don't have a desktop version. We're, um, uh, Android and iOS. Uh, you can either uh, sideload the app through our website if you if you choose, uh, or you can go um, uh, go to one of the stores and, and download it directly. Uh, the way that a user experience works is you you download, uh, you sign on. Everybody's familiar with doing that with with apps, uh, and then the uh, we'll send you a confirmation email uh, because we have to know uh, a little bit about you uh, because of some of the markets that we're in. Um, not, not, you know, uh, invasive information, just like, you know, where you are, basically, we, we need to know. Uh, and then what you'll do is you'll be able to go in and choose a contest type. So all of our contests, like I mentioned, are daily, which means that you're building a team for that particular match day. Um, and what we do is we have different, uh, four different contest types that really, uh, really are differentiated around how many other people do you want to play with? And do you want to be the one creating the contest or do you want to enter one that's already been created for you? So we really try to give a wide range of options there. So you can create your own contest, just, just you versus a friend and invite one person. You can go in a lobby that we have a public available lobby and choose a contest that's already been created. You can go play against three other people or nine other people. Uh, or we have this contest type called mini leagues where, which are probably our most popular contest type where you can invite, as many people as you want, if you want to create a mini league, or you can join one that exists. Uh, we have a lot of people who are playing mini leagues uh, who do it through their favorite fantasy soccer uh, personality. 
So people who have podcasts about fantasy soccer or they have stat sites or they have Twitter feeds uh, will come in and create their own contest and then they'll play against their listeners. So it really is a wide, a wide range of options uh, for the contest type that you want to join. And from there, then uh, your, uh, your option as a user is to just pick your team. So we don't have uh, uh, any kind of mechanism like salary caps or anything that's complicated for people. Really, the idea is put together your favorite 11 players that looks like a soccer formation. You can't have three goalies, for example, or seven forwards, but it looks like a soccer formation. We give you all the information in the app that you need to make those decisions in terms of uh, the latest news about players, uh, how many points they scored their last few matches, uh, whether they're likely to start in the upcoming match. We want to make that all an experience that people people have within the app. They don't have to go anywhere else. Uh, You can build your team. Uh, You pick your favorite 11. You pick a captain that earns you double the points on your squad. So you pick your most important player. And then you have the chance from the time that you set your lineup to the time that matches kick off, you can make as many changes to that lineup as you want. So maybe you think about it for a while, you come back and you tinker a little bit, uh, which is pretty common. Um, And then once matches kick off, you can make three substitutions to your team in real time while matches are ongoing. Um, And we will tell you all sorts of information when matches are live. Uh, what your position is in the particular contest, for example, whether you're winning or not winning, uh, everyone else's score, how many points your players are scoring, all of this happens in, in real time. So it's, it's, it's to the second, uh, the kind of information, the kind of information that we get. So we have a lot of people who use it um, as sort of a second screen companion while they're watching, while they're watching live soccer. Um, and that's basically the, you know, basically the, the, the universe of options just from sign up to the end of a, you know, to the end of a contest day. So it's, it makes me wonder because the, because the fact that I don't totally, I'm not in this industry. So it's just fascinating hearing. I'm curious um, if you're willing to go into it, if you're open to it, um, I feel like there's a dozen ways you can make money off of this model. I can like count yeah. like six just right now as you, as yeah. you are reading <laughs> off. How do you, yeah. two questions. How do you think about, well, how are you monetizing if you are, and also, um, the second question is, how do you think about monetization and focus and uh, knowing which you know, channels are going to be the best ways to make money? Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll talk generally about the ways. You can think of six. I mean, they're, they're, you're right. There are a lot of different ways to, um, to monetize this. <clears throat> One way, if, you are, um, on a, if you're an operator like we are of a platform that lets people play for real, actual money, one way to do that is just to take a percentage of the contest fees that people are entering, uh, which we do. So uh, typical kind of industry standard, um, everything's in British pounds in the app, by the way, because we have contests for the English Premier League. That's where most of our users currently are, is, is in the UK. Uh, so if you want to play against your friend and you each want to put in five pounds, the winner of that contest will get nine and we'll get one. So it's a 10% operating fee across across all the contests. That's, that's one way to do it. Um, the other um, kind of major monetization option, uh, which is not just us, but is, but is, is spread across the industry, um, is uh, found in the, in the data that we, that we um, are required to collect because of the regulated markets that we're in um, around some of the user experience pieces. So, uh, for example, we have to geolocate uh, our users because we have to know, are you in an area where you can play for real money or are you in an area where, where you can't? Um, we, we, you have to have age, uh, information, for example, um, we know about people's favorite players because of who they choose, um, in the app. We know, uh, about when they're most engaged with the live soccer that they're viewing, because we can tell 
when they're making substitutions and then why they're making substitutions. So um, that unique proprietary data set, um, and again, it's not just us. I mean, this is a thing that's been done um, by a couple other companies with with some um, some some real great success. Uh, is saying you know to to uh, on a B two B level saying we have a lot of really unique proprietary information about the fan habits, the fan engagement habits of these fans that you're after, whether you're an advertiser or a league or a club or a broadcaster uh, or whoever. Uh, because kind of the, the number one thing in, in the sports space right now is really data uh, and it's fan engagement data. Um, and that's really what we are as, as a company. Um, and so those are a few. Um, there's, of course, you know, anything people kind of do normally in apps to monetize in terms of just straight, just straight ad work is, is an option. Um, we, you know, because we're the first ones who have created this live substitution uh, piece, we get um, requests from time to time to do white labels for uh, other leagues around the world or other clubs. Um, and it's not something that we uh, have been interested in doing so far, uh, but that may change um, in the future, kind of depending on, um, you know, just kind of depending on what our needs are and, and where we're at um, in the next 12 months or so. So yeah, there are, there are just a lot of ways a lot of ways to potentially um, potentially monetize uh, what we're doing. I feel like it's a question that a lot of very early stage founders or you know aspiring founders think of, like, oh, which way should we charge this way, this way, this way, this way? But I think the most important yep. thing, in my in my opinion, is just picking a way and seeing if people will give you money, <laughs> whoever you, whoever you yep. charge. <laughs> You'll always be able to iterate, but like I just think people wait way too long to ask for money. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, in this this space is is, is kind of unique um, in in that in that way because we do have a couple of companies uh, that that were that aren't competitors of ours, but are adjacent to us doing you know their sports, for example, or season long stuff where they're pretty open about uh, you know we don't really monetize really we don't really care about that we care about getting a critical mass of users um, on the site because it, because there are so many network effects of what we do. Um, and, that, and that can work, and, that, and that's worked for some people. But but I, I, I agree with your point, which is, um, you know, for for us, for example, like we have a framework for decision making on those things. It goes back to what is our end goal? What are we trying to accomplish? So our decisions get run through that framework. And if you don't know the ways in which you're trying to monetize, uh, that's hard to do. So we, um, you know, it, it's important to have a plan and then contingency plans. And then be pretty honest about whether they're working or not, um, and be able to uh, be able to move um, you know, to your point as quickly as you can. Definitely, definitely. Well, my last question specific uh, to your company is: I feel like you have something really unique and creative, and I have a hunch that there's a lot of running room. What is what does the next decade look like for you? And have you had to paint a vision? what you're building and what it could be or love to hear it yeah i think the i think the ultimate what this could be is that if you're a fan of soccer anywhere in the world uh and you are uh consuming live soccer content you're either doing it on starting 11 or starting 11 is a companion to the way that you're already watching live soccer anyway um i mentioned that we're in five countries we just we just launched in india uh, we're going to be in more than five countries. I mentioned that we do contests for the English Premier League. We're going to have contests uh, in relatively short order for more than just the English Premier League. So, the, you know, for us, is really we're at the point where we've spent um, a considerable amount of time being really thoughtful about how we built this 
and putting a lot of building blocks in place, um, you know, from a technology standpoint, from a data feed standpoint, from a uh, from an IP standpoint, from a um, regulatory uh, perspective, uh, we put a lot of really sound building blocks in place. And now we're at a point as a company where we're ready to scale. We are prepared uh, on all fronts for the for the scale process. So um, I, I think you know, ten ten years is ten years in what we do is, is just forever. I mean, we we try to have a long view of things, but that that's so long. I mean, this this industry didn't exist from a down the daily side. 10 years ago. I mean, there's no such thing. Uh, now there are three, you know, there've been $3 billion companies that have come on. So uh, it's hard to say 10 years. I, I think that, um, I, I think that shorter term than that, um, we want to be uh, the largest fantasy soccer company in the world um, and be, be synonymous with, um, with uh, fan engagement uh, around soccer uh, in, in lots of different markets. All right. I like it a lot and I, I hope it all comes true. And, you know, 10 years from now or five years from now, you're on a whole nother mountain looking at the next mountain. That's the, the beautiful thing about, about business and, and startups. There's always some, something else to do is somewhere else to go. So thank you for kind of sharing that with me. Something I want to shift a little bit into now is, um, you know, before the show, we were talking about how you've had some experience in working or with like breaking into regulated markets and just kind of navigating that world. And I will be totally honest and tell you, I know nothing about that. So I am excited to learn once again. Um, so to kind of, to start, I'd love to talk about that. So to start, what is your, you know, high level, um, what are your thoughts on breaking into a regulated industry or regulated geography on a very high level? And then we will obviously drill down, but just kind of starter yeah. thoughts. I'd, lo I'd love for you to kick it off. <laughs> well, I think that, so when you're a, when you're a startup founder and you're relatively early on, like one of the questions you're going to get asked a lot by people, um, you know, customers, investors, whoever it is, uh, give me some defensibility around this. Explain to me, why not everyone can just do this. Uh, and one of the answers when you're in a regulated market is because other people can't overcome the regulatory barrier to be able to do, be able to do what we do. So in our case, uh, and, and this, isn't, this isn't unique to us, this is, this is a common problem uh, in our space and in some other spaces too. Uh, you've got multiple regulatory layers that you need to think about, design around at the outset, and then be able to navigate in terms of um, actually meeting, uh, meeting the regulatory challenge. So those are things like, can you pass, can you pass uh, platform approval on Apple and in, on Google? Can you pass uh, country approval? Uh, where is that a federal system or is that, um, is that a national system? So like in the United States, what we do from a regulatory standpoint is controlled state by state. Uh, in a place like the UK, there's, a, there's sort of a, a, a higher governing body that covers the entire UK. Uh, in India, it's state by state. It's just different. It's different in every country. Um, and then can you meet, do you have the infrastructure to meet whatever the regulatory requirements are uh, in order to achieve um, uh, a license uh, to be able to do what you do? So can you pass security audit? Can you meet technical standards? Um, can, you, can you put all those technical pieces in place um, in, order to, um, in order to not only uh, get the product out there uh, and make sure it works, but also uh, pass, pass regulatory muster by whichever body is, is providing oversight. Um, so that's something that we've had to do uh, now five, uh, well, more, more than five, but five different countries. Um, and so that, that's, you know, I, I think the key to it is having a, 
very, very good understanding uh, at the outset of what exactly it is you need to do so that you can design around it. Um, I'll give you an example uh, for, for us. Um, we, you know, when we started doing this, uh, single game fantasy, meaning a fantasy contest that was just for one game, like Liverpool's playing Arsenal, and it's just a fantasy contest about Liverpool and Arsenal, uh, that was not permitted uh, from reg- uh, on the regulatory side in the United States. So we had to design and kind of design around that and then work our way back to that once a lot, you know, it's because it's, it's a fluid situation with a lot of these, a lot of the laws, especially in the gaming side. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's uniquely challenging. There are more barriers to entry, but you're also going to find yourself in a position where um, you're maybe ahead of the field. If you have a, if you have the ability to, to overcome those challenges. So I think a lot of, when people think of regulated industries, um, or companies that are in regulated uh, uh, kind of ge- geographies or industries, there's like I feel like two ways that that companies can go about it. There is the Uber way, which is just kind of like yeah. with with force and kind of I don't yeah. I, I didn't read so much into this, but I got the gist that they kind of just like went for it, kind of in a way bypassed regulation and dealt with it later down the line when they had more funds to put up the legal battle. Um, and there are yeah. there are companies that that, that do this. Um, but then there's obviously companies that play within the lines of regulation wherever they want to break into. What's your thesis on this? And is there a right or wrong way to go about this? Or does it just depend on the company? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think so. So I have a couple, I think a couple of things. One is, you know, my, my sort of prior on this is that the right way to do it is to comply with whatever laws or whatever jurisdiction you're in. Um, you know, whether, you know, ethically or morally or whatever or just for the long-term success of your company. That's the right way to do it uh, because there's almost always a reckoning. Now, Uber is an interesting case. That's going to be a corner case. Um, Uber you know, sort of speaks to the second point, which is what is the risk-reward calculation for flouting some of the regulatory rules at the outset? Um, you know, for in a lot of these places that, that Uber went to, maybe or Lyft early on, or now you see it with the electric scooter stuff uh, too, uh, the regulatory consequence is some sort of like minor civil fine if and when a city council uh, or county board sort of gets their act together and like figures out what's going on. And by that point, the bet from, from an Uber uh, is, we'll be so ingrained in the ecosystem that if they try to restrict us, there'll be an outcry from all of our users. So if you think you're Uber and you can get to scale very, very quickly before anyone realizes what's happening, um, that's a pathway that you can, that you can take. Uh, but, but there are going to be regulatory consequences at some point for you. You're seeing that with Uber in California, right? Like there, there's, there's a point at which that catches up to you. Uh, but, um, you know, it, 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 it's really a function of your risk tolerance um, there. There are other industries, and I would argue that like the gaming industry is one of them, where, uh, you know, don't, don't do that. Like don't run afoul of anti-money laundering laws, for example, uh, because those are things that Okay, thank you so much for tuning into that episode of Forward Thinking Founders. As you can see, the episode is clearly not over. It, you know, was tapering off just as we got into the section on regulation and how to break into regulated markets. Um, if you do want to listen to the whole episode and hear all of Teague's thoughts on breaking into regulated markets, Become a angel investor in the podcast by going to glow.fm slash F20R. 
If you got some value out of the podcast, I appreciate any ratings on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you really like it, tell a friend about it. With all that said, I appreciate you spending your time with me today. And I will see you tomorrow on the podcast. Have a good one. Bye.